Well, many of us are familiar with the, the hymn, Amazing Grace, right? written by John Newton, and he speaks of God's goodness to sinners. Uh, we, we just sang one of his hymns earlier on in the service as well. You know, Newton was a prolific hymn writer, and together with a poet named William Cooper, he published a hymnal entitled Only Hymns. Only, only is named after the village where they were both uh, serving. Only Hymns is a collection of 280 of Newton's own hymns, including Amazing Grace, and 68 of Cooper's hymns. Uh, but my focus today is not on Amazing Grace, but it's, it's rather it's on the hymn that we just sang, uh, I Asked the Lord That I Might Grow. You know, this hymn is one of 28 hymns in the Only Hymnal, uh, one of 28 hymns that focus on the topic of conflict or suffering. I, I think it's very instructive that hymnals have a huge section on the topic of conflict and suffering. I think maybe we don't, we don't have enough of these songs that help us to articulate what it means when we go through tough times. Right? We can't always be singing happy, clappy songs. Right? We need songs that help us to articulate what it means to suffer patiently for Jesus' sake. I think these, these songs in the only hymnal uh, tell us that pain is a part of the normal Christian life. And, and, and as Lapming introduced the song earlier, this hymn tells a story the first stanza begins with Newton's prayer. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace, might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. You know, this, of course, is a wonderful prayer. It's a wonderful prayer for godliness. This is not self-centered. It, it's, a, it's a fine biblical prayer. But, but then Newton writes, God answered his prayer in such a way as almost drove me to despair. Right? Instead of giving him what he wants right away, instead of giving Newton rest, you know, Newton says, God made me feel the hidden evils of my heart. And then Newton says in another stanza, <clears throat> Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe, crossed all the fair designs I schemed, basically all my plans fell through, humbled my heart and laid me low. You know, you can imagine... At this point, Newton's confusion, right? It's like, God, I, I prayed this prayer. It's a good and godly prayer, very biblical. Why haven't you answered my prayer? In fact, why have things become worse? So Newton cries out in another stanza, Lord, why is this? Why is this? You know, th this hymn is very honest. And this hymn tackles, I think, maybe a lot of questions that we may be asking or maybe we may be afraid to ask. Lord, why is this? These are questions that we ask, especially in suffering and especially when there is no end date to our suffering, especially when our suffering seems interminable, seems to not end, despite our constant pleas to God. You know, why does God make me wait so long for the good and godly things that He has promised? You know, why does He seem intent on aggravating my woe? Why does he seem intent on prolonging my pain? You know, in our passage, Moses and the Israelites wrestle with similar questions. God promised to save them from slavery. He, he told them as much. So why then does God not redeem them right away? Why not right away? Why the delay? You know, the, big, the big idea in our passage is this. The Lord calls us to wait for His salvation that we might know Him. 
more. The Lord calls us to wait for His salvation that we might know Him more. And express, as expressed in Newton's hymn, God calls us to bear the difficult grace of His sanctifying work in us. And although we are discouraged from delay, there is encouragement from knowing the Lord. And those are our two points in our meditation this morning. So number one, discouragement from delay. Let me read for us from Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 to 23. And if you're using the Pew Bibles, this is found on page 44. Exodus 5, beginning in verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw The taskmasters were urgent, saying, Complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had yet had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday, as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, you are idle, you are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work, no straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The four men of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. 
At the beginning of chapter 5, Moses and Aaron are feeling probably rather hopeful. You know, you know how chapter 4 ends. They spoke the words of the Lord to the people, and the people responded well. Right? Chapter 4, verse 31 says, The people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that He had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. So, so with this positive response, you can imagine Moses and Aaron feeling rather optimistic as they come to Pharaoh. So they, go to, go, so they go and say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Moses and Aaron speak God's word faithfully, as commanded by the Lord. You know, but God had warned Moses to expect a negative response. And sure enough, Pharaoh rejects Moses' request. Right? He says, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? You know, Pharaoh's rebellious unbelief you know, leads him to disobey God. And his words are an arrogant declaration of defiance and disdain, not, not only for Moses, but even more fundamentally for the Lord. You know, Pharaoh regards the Lord's words as lying words. Right? You, you see this in verse 9. Right? Don't listen to lying words, he tells the people. You notice the, the parallel statements that are going on in this passage as well. Moses said, thus says the Lord in verse 1. Pharaoh, re, you know, Pharaoh refuses. And then later in verse 10, he says, thus says Pharaoh. So you have a thus says the Lord and a thus says Pharaoh going on in this passage. You know, Pharaoh puts himself in the place of God. Therefore, he expects the Israelites to serve him rather than to serve their God. You know, in, in, in this passage, Pharaoh is setting up a confrontation between himself and the Lord. And unbeknownst to Pharaoh, you know, his question, who is the Lord, in verse 2, is really the central question of the whole book of Exodus. Right? You know, you, you can't, you can, you, we can think about the book of Exodus summarized in this question, who is the Lord? Because the book of Exodus is about how God answers that question. Who is the Lord? This is who I am. And you can see who God is by what He does in the book of Exodus. So this really is a central question. You know, the Exodus is God's reply to Pharaoh's question, who is the Lord? And the Lord will make Himself known through signs and wonders as He judges Pharaoh and Egypt with the ten plagues. And the Lord will show, you know, in the, in the coming chapters, that He alone is God. And Pharaoh and Egypt's idols are helpless in the face of this God. But for now, however, uh, Pharaoh continues to hold sway in his court. Angered by Moses and Aaron's requests, Pharaoh imposes more work on the Israelites by commanding his taskmasters to stop giving them straw to make bricks. You know, bricks were made from clay in those days, so hardened, mud, and straw was essential to the making of bricks because the straw reinforced the clay and helped keep each brick intact. So without straw, you can't make bricks. The, the, the mud will just fall apart, it will crumble. So unable to find straw, the Israelites are then forced to find a substitute for straw. So they, they go around and, and they have to gather stubble a rather inferior substitute to straw. It's not surprising that it becomes impossible 
for the Israelites to meet their daily quotas. Maybe some of us feel that way at work, right? Uh, the, the, our number of colleagues seem to, seem to keep decreasing, and it's, it becomes impossible for us to fulfill our tasks at work. Well, that's exactly how the Israelites felt. They, they have the same quotas, but a lot less given to them to fulfill those quotas. As a result, the Israelite foremen are beaten <clears throat> by their Egyptian taskmasters. So the foremen try to appeal to Pharaoh, but their pleas fall on deaf ears. You know, if, rather, Pharaoh accuses them of being lazy for wanting to stop work to worship God. Right? He says in verse 17, you are idle. You are idle. He repeats it. You know, this fallen world views worshipping God as an idle waste of time. You know, I think the reasoning that, that Pharaoh is using in these verses is, why worship when you can work? Better to be productive, go get to work. Stop being idle. Right? You know, work was a good design of God's creation. Right? It was there at the beginning. It was given to man as a gift for man's flourishing and for the good of God's creation. But we know that ever since the fall, work has become a burden. Work has become tedious, frustrating, and futile. Maybe some of us are dreading tomorrow as we step into the office or step into the workplace. You know, work has also become man-centered rather than God-centered. Instead of worshipping God with our work, we worship work as our God. You know, have we become so preoccupied with work that we have no time or energy to worship God? You know, has, has work become so much a part of our lives that, that we don't even gather on the Lord's day to worship God? You know, Israel's slavery in Egypt is a picture of how sin holds us captive. Right? Without Christ, we are slaves of sin. For example, we are given to anger, we're, we're given to lust, we're given to greed, to self-centeredness, and, and so on. We are trapped by destructive addictions that we can't break free of. And we neither desire nor obey God. You know, Pharaoh's oppressing, oppression of Israel is a picture of how sin is a terrible taskmaster. It always demands more. And it always gives us less. You know, sin is never satisfied. And, and sin never satisfies us. You know, when, when we're tempted to sin, I, I think it's worth remembering that, that, that sin is a terrible master. The, the, the pleasure that we feel in that moment will not endure. And it will leave us feeling worse than when we started. You know, sin pays really poorly. Romans 6 tells us the wages of sin is death. So, so this passage helps us to think about how we need a new master, and yet we can't leave our old one. We have a horrible boss that we can't break free of. And only Jesus can set us free. You know, he was crucified, he rose from the dead to set sinners free to redeem sinners like us. And only Jesus can give us rest, the rest that we so 
desire, the, the rest that we want to endure, right? Only Jesus can give us the rest that we seek. He says to us in Matthew 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So different from Pharaoh. Jesus says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So I don't think it's a coincidence that later on as you read the book of Exodus, the fourth commandment has to do with rest, the Sabbath day. It's a reminder to us of God's creation as well as God's redemption. God redeems us for worship, and worship is rest. Right? Not, not rest in a passive sense, we're not doing anything, but rest in an active sense where we are resting in God. That's the rest that the Sabbath is meant to point us to, that our rest is found in Jesus alone. Not in our work, but in Christ. So for my overworked Brothers and sisters, have we found our rest in Christ? Are, are we able to put our work down and to rest in Christ, to, to acknowledge that our work doesn't ultimately depend on us, but, but we work according to Christ's pleasure. We serve Him. We worship Him with our work. We find rest in Him. Having heard how the Lord had visited His people, the Israelites must have been hopeful that their lives would soon get better. Right? They, 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 maybe Moses' words to them earlier had set up these expectations in their minds that yes, the Lord has come and, and surely we'll be free. Right? They will, Moses and Aaron will go into Pharaoh tomorrow, they'll have a good chat with Pharaoh and he will let us go. Just like that, as the Lord has promised. Maybe that was what the Israelites were expecting would happen. As you can imagine, their deep discouragement and disappointment when their situation doesn't get better, but worse. Right? As Proverbs 13 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Pharaoh turns a deaf ear to the Israelite foremen. And then these Israelite foremen, they come out and they see Moses and Aaron waiting for them. And then they blame Moses and Aaron for their predicament. You know, these foremen assume that since God had promised to save Israel, then it must happen right away. So who has messed up? Probably Moses and Aaron, right? They, they were supposed to, you know, they had one job. They were supposed to say what God had told them to, to Pharaoh. Maybe they messed it up. Maybe they didn't deliver the message properly. So, the, so then these four men, what do they do? They, they call down God's judgment on Moses and Aaron. Rather ironic, right? They, they say, God judge you because you have made us stink in the eyes of Pharaoh. You know, I think the irony is that Moses and Aaron were simply doing what God had told them to do. And yet, you know, these four men say, God judge you for, for messing things up. Uh, friends, I, I think uh, hurting sheep can become biting sheep. You know, the Israelites vent their anger on Moses and Aaron and I think this foreshadows the people's constant complaining in the wilderness. You know, those of us who seek to serve God by doing spiritual good to others, 
I, I think this passage prepares us for what that could look like. You know, if, if you want to be faithful, if you want to serve your brothers and sisters by doing good to them, then be prepared to face difficulty, be prepared to face rejection, be prepared to be misunderstood or perhaps even maligned. And, and this shouldn't surprise us because after all, we follow a crucified Christ who turned the other cheek and did not insist on his rights. So be, be prepared that we will face opposition when we seek to do spiritual good to others, when we seek to do the Lord's will. And on the flip side, you know, which is, you know, do you identify with the Israelites? I think the flip side is that if others are seeking your spiritual good, then don't bite them. <laughs> don't discourage them. Now, I think that's why Hebrews 13 says this to leaders and says this to the other members of the church. Right? Hebrews 13 verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? Because they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. And not, not to your leaders, but to you. And I think both sheep and under-shepherds, we, we all have a responsibility to serve in this way. When bitten, you know, it, it's tempting to want to bite back. But Moses, I, I think what's striking in this passage is that Moses does not scold the Israelites or complain about them. What does he do? Verse 22, he turns to the Lord. Now, this is not to say that Moses is not struggling. Right? Yes, Moses is an example of faith to us, but it doesn't mean that he's not struggling with what's happening. Moses is disheartened. Moses is discouraged. And he is transparent about his struggles with the Lord. Now, I think like him, faith doesn't mean pretending that we are okay. Right? Faith doesn't mean we put up a front saying, that, oh, everything's fine, I'm not struggling, everything's good. No, no, faith cries out to God in honest prayer. Faith brings our confusion, our disillusionment to the Lord, and faith seeks understanding. You know, as that hymn says, right, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged take it to the Lord in prayer. So that's what Moses does. He takes it to the Lord in prayer. You know, God had told Moses to expect opposition, but Moses probably didn't anticipate this much trouble. So he asked the Lord in verse 22, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to these people? You know, just to be clear, the word evil here has, has quite a broad meaning in the Hebrew. Evil can mean wickedness or it can also mean just more neutral uh, disaster or calamity. And I think that's what Moses means. He, he's not accusing God of sin, but he's simply saying, God, why have you brought disaster on these people? Why have you brought calamity or, or hardship on these people? Why, you know, you, you can imagine Moses' perplexity and confusion. Right? God, didn't, didn't you promise to save Israel, but why have you made things harder for the people whom you promised to save? 
Again, Moses questions his calling, right? The next why. Why did you ever send me? You know, that, that, that's a bit of a I told you so statement. It's like, God, I told you so. I'm the wrong person for the job, so why did you ever send me? You know, sometimes we doubt our calling when things don't turn out the way we hope. I think this little example here in Exodus, uh, I, I think, tells us to, to not be too hasty in deciding something isn't God's will simply because we run into trouble. Right? That, that was a double negative statement, so let me say that again. Don't be too hasty in deciding something isn't God's will simply because we run into trouble. And, and on the flip side, don't think that something is God's will simply because things, is, things are going really well. Right? So that, that's sometimes a poor judge of whether we are doing God's will or not. And Moses' statement to God, it, it's very bold, right? Look, look at verse 23. You have not delivered your people at all. You know, that's not a question, that's a statement. It's, you know, he drops the why, he just goes, you have not delivered your people at all. And you can imagine why Moses is saying that. Maybe we, we struggle with similar things as well. God, aren't you faithful? God, don't you, don't you keep your promises? God, don't you want good for your people? You know, as Newton said in the hymn, God, don't you want me to be godly? Why then do you, do you not give me what I desire? Which lines up with what you desire. God, where is the salvation that you promised? Where is the relief that you promised? You know, like the other Israelites, Moses is discouraged by the delay in God's deliverance. I think he expects God to work quickly you know, maybe with some difficulty, but without any serious setbacks. Oh, are we also impatient in wanting God to work according to our schedule? You know, brothers and sisters, are, are we impatient? Do we measure God's faithfulness by our own agendas and our schedules and our own timetables? So that if God doesn't match our timetable, we think, oh, God, you can't be faithful. You can't be loving. We get upset when God falls true and He doesn't seem to match our schedules and our plans. And I think in, in all of this, it's helpful to see that Moses was being obedient to God. Right? He was doing God's will. God had told him to go to Pharaoh to say these things, and Moses did that. You know, even after his initial reluctance in chapter 3, Moses obeyed, and he did God's will. Yet the more he obeyed, the worse things got. You know, how do we respond to trouble when trouble comes from doing what is right, when we do what's right? You know, do we get disillusioned with serving God because we expect life to go well if we do His will? I think this is, a very, this is a very real struggle with Christians. I think we, we try to serve God, we, we want to be faithful, and then we, when we encounter difficulties when we serve God, maybe a difficult person, maybe a discouragement if something doesn't seem to grow, or at least as we evaluate it, maybe we get disillusioned and we stop serving. Why? Why do we do that? You know, for example, I've heard Christians ask, how can God let me suffer? I've always served him so faithfully. You know, what, what's the assumption 
behind that question. You know, we may not realize it, but perhaps more of us have bought into the lie of the prosperity gospel than we realize. You know, the prosperity gospel says we will have earthly success and well-being. We just have to trust and obey. But that's not always true, is it? That's not always true. You know, as Exodus shows, the prosperity gospel is not biblical faith. And if we fail to understand this, then trials can leave us in despair and can even wreck our faith. And we, we need to understand, and I think this passage in Exodus is so helpful, is that the path of doing God's will goes through the cross. The path of doing God's will goes through the cross. If we are to share in Christ's glory, then we have to be prepared to suffer with Him. So the, the difficulties we encounter when we serve God, they are par for the course. They are the, a part of the normal Christian life. This is what it means to identify ourselves with the crucified Christ. That the cross must come before the crown. In fact, this is what the Apostle Paul does when he strengthens the souls of the disciples. You know, in, in Acts, when he preaches the gospel, people are gathered, believers are gathered into churches. What does Paul do? He, he goes back to those churches and he encourages these disciples to carry on in the faith. And what does he say to them? Acts 14, he says to them, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You know, this, this for Paul is a key part of discipleship, right? You need to prepare Christians to suffer. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. You know, this resets our expectations. This resets what we think is the normal Christian life. And this prepares us for life in the fallen world as God's people. So how should we respond when trouble comes from doing God's will? What should we do when deliverance is delayed? Our second point, encouragement from knowing the Lord. Let me read from chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke, spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So how should we respond when troubles come? I think Moses gives us the answer in these verses. 
in, in the way he, re- or rather God gives us the answer in these verses in the way he responds to Moses. You know, once again, God deals gently with his struggling servant. Uh, this should encourage us to take our burdens to the Lord in prayer. You know, God is not afraid of our honesty. Yes, the delays can discourage us, but encouragement comes from knowing the Lord, knowing the Lord's purpose and knowing the Lord's person. Right? Those really are the two parts in God's response to Moses. Know his purpose and know his person. So first, knowing God's purpose. You know, God reassures Moses of what he's doing, of, of his plan. You know, God is in perfect control. In, you know, in verse 1, it says that as far as God is concerned, everything is going according to plan. God intends for Moses and Israel to see what he will do to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's hard-hearted refusal to let Israel go sets the stage for God to display his glory in judgment as well as in salvation. The the ten plagues are described in other parts in Exodus as signs and wonders. The, The plagues are signs and wonders. What does a sign do? A sign points to the one who's doing the sign. The signs point to the greatness of God. The, the, the signs show, the, the, the plagues show that God is God, right? Signs and wonders. The, the plagues show that God is sovereign. They point to his awesome power. And when Pharaoh experiences for himself God's judgment, Pharaoh himself will drive Israel out with a strong hand. Isn't that ironic? You know, he's so reluctant to let Israel go. But when he experiences God's power, in judgment, Pharaoh himself will say, you guys, please leave. We don't want you anymore. I, I think God is communicating to Moses here that God is never late. God is never late. But we should realize that he works according to his timing and not ours. You know, we often wish that God would remove the difficulties in our lives and the sooner the better. But God's purpose for us isn't our short-term comfort. What He has promised, however, is much better. Our future glory and eternal good. Therefore, God will show His glory through our trials. Through our trials. That we might see His work and know Him. You know, earlier on, Aurelia read for us from John's Gospel and And that passage was chosen because it's a very good example of this. You know, in John 11, we read of how Lazarus, Jesus' friend, is seriously ill. So Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, they they do what good sisters will do. They ask Jesus to come and heal their brother, who is seriously sick. So we expect Jesus to rush over, right? I'll come right away. But what does Jesus do? He delays He takes his time. Is it because Jesus doesn't care about Lazarus or his sisters? I think the passage, you know, you go back to read John 11, verse 5, we learn that Jesus delays. Why? Because he loves them. Like, wait a minute. How does that work? Jesus, you're not coming to save Lazarus because you love him? What 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 does that mean? Verse 5 in, in John 11, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. 
And of course, we know what happens. Because of the delay, Lazarus dies. When Jesus finally shows up, two days too late, Martha and Mary lament that he is too late. Why didn't he come earlier? Jesus, why don't you come and save? Why the delay? Now you've cost my, our brother their life, his life. But in, in Jesus' response to Mary and Martha, he, he's showing them that his purpose is much bigger than Lazarus's earthly comfort or health. Jesus wants Martha, Mary, and Lazarus to see God's glory, specifically to see God's glory in raising the dead. He wants these three siblings to know and believe in him. And, and, and this incident leads up to that wonderful declaration by Jesus in verse 25 of John's gospel. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. That's what Jesus wants them to see. Not, not the fact that he can just give earthly health, but the fact that he is the resurrection and the life. Now, this helps us understand the reason for the apparent delay in Israel's deliverance. Now, of course, God can bring his people out of Egypt at once, just like that. No problem. But the Exodus isn't just about rescuing Israel from temporal hardship. No, the Lord will save Israel in such a way as to display his glory and he will display his glory both to Egypt as well as to Israel itself. Why? That they might know him. That's what really matters, friends, that they might know him, either in judgment or in salvation. And there is nothing more vital to us in this life and the life to come than that we know the Lord. Do we know the Lord? This is more important than our temporal ease and comfort. You know, sometimes God has us in times of trial. Why? Because He wants us to know Him. And He wants us to know Him more and more. So He does not take the pain away. Because He wants us to know Him more and more. You know, and why does God do this? Because He loves us. Because He loves us. And He will work in our lives in such a way as to cause us to delight in Him to trust Him, to rest in Him. Now, yes, God is well able to take our trials away immediately if He so wills, but God often reveals our weaknesses and our helplessness by having us wait for Him. Then we see more of God's glory when we experience for ourselves His grace in our afflictions. And the more we know God, especially through sharing in the sufferings of his son, the more we become like him. That's what God wants of us. That's what he desires for us, that we know him, that we might become more like him. You know, knowing the Lord is the heart of the Exodus and the gospel. This is how Jesus describes eternal life. This is eternal life that they know you. The only God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So if we want eternal life, then we must want to know this God. Now, as J.I. Packer wrote in his excellent book, Knowing God, there's a huge difference between knowing about God and knowing God. 
Hey, for example, when I first got married to my wife, Claire, I thought I knew her. I knew, I knew things about her. But I, I think it's through years of marriage, through years of ups and downs, through struggles in life, struggles in marriage, that's how I know her. And I know her better. And I thank God for that, just looking back. And I think this is what God wants us to realize as well, that it's often through the trials that we come to know Him. Not just know a lot about Him, but know Him for ourselves. We know Him in a personal, experiential way, such that we humbly worship, trust, and obey Him. So we are encouraged when we know the Lord's purpose, as well as when we know His person. You know, the second part of God's reply to Moses focuses on who God is, what He has done, and what He will do. You know, first, first off, notice the repetition of I'm the Lord. At the beginning, verse 2, in the middle, verse 6, and at the end, verse 8, of God's reply to Moses, I'm the Lord, I'm the Lord, I'm the Lord. You know, in, in case we missed it, God says it three times. Right? So this really is an answer to Pharaoh's question in chapter 5, verse 2, and Pharaoh says, who's the Lord? And God says, I am the Lord. You know, the most important thing for us is this, is to know that He is the Lord. And I notice how many times God says, I, in these verses. You know, 17 times He says, I, I, including seven I wills. You know, I will, I will, I will. You know, again and again, God emphasizes that He is the Lord and He's the one who has done this. He's the one who will do these things. So when we are discouraged, I think the answer to us in chapter 6 is we need to know who God is, to know what He has done, and to know what He will do. Now, in times of trouble, remember who God says He is. I am the Lord. He is the great I am, or Yahweh. His name shows that He is the sovereign, almighty creator. He is the faithful covenant-making as well as covenant-keeping God who redeems a people for Himself. And the Lord reminds Moses of what He has done in the past. He appeared as God Almighty to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God made a covenant with them, promising to make their descendants a great nation and to give them the land of Canaan. God is from age to age the same. He is unchangingly true to His Word. And although more than 400 years have passed, since God's, promise, since God's promises to Abraham, he remains faithful to his covenant and he hears the cries of his people. Now, God had previously revealed himself to the patriarchs as the Lord, but they did not truly know him. They did not see the fulfillment of his promises and they all died in faith. But now, the Israelites can know the Lord in a deeper and fuller way. Why? Because they see the fulfillment of those promises. They see the Lord in action, which is what the patriarchs did not get a chance to see. But this is where the Israelites can know the Lord. Beloved, when God seems slow, be encouraged by remembering what the Lord has done for us. You know, the Israelites could look back to God's covenant with Abraham, but we have the privilege of knowing the Lord in an even greater way because we can look back to the cross. We can look back to Jesus himself coming in the flesh to save sinners. Jesus fulfills God's promises to Abraham. 
that He has come to reveal God to us, that we might truly know Him. You know, I think the Lord also encourages Moses and Israelites to look forward to what He will do. He tells Moses that He will show His power and give and save Israel from slavery. He says that He will be their God and they shall be His people. He will give them a land. Uh, beloved, when God seems slow, hope in what He will do for us. Because of what Christ has already done, we who have believed in Him shall be raised with Him in glory when He returns. God will dwell with us as our God and we will be His people. Our status as God's children will be fully revealed when Jesus returns and we shall inherit not just a small piece of land, but we shall inherit the new heaven and new earth as promised to us by our Heavenly Father. You know, we, we look forward in hope to what God will do. All suffering will cease. And there shall be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain. And God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. And in Christ, our hope is sure. From beginning to end, our salvation belongs to the Lord. You know, we, we could end the sermon here and it's great, right? But then there's verse 9. <laughs> After God's reassuring words, verse 9 seems like a rather jarring anticlimax, doesn't it? The people of Israel, what did they do? They did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. You know, friends, I think the Bible is very honest about the difficulties of life in a fallen world. We will not always listen to God. You know, some of us will leave this place this morning and be unmoved by God's word. Because life is hard. We will not always respond as we should in the moment. Waiting is hard. It's marked with grief and sorrow, disappointment, discouragement, depression, dis despair. Those are real things. And our weary hearts will not always respond to God's word. What do we do in those moments? We continue to wait patiently. We cry out to God for help. We continue to cry out to Him to help, even if our hearts are not moved in the moment. You know, God understands and He is patient with us. I think it's encouraging that He does not admonish the Israelites here. And like them, we groan as we wait for Jesus to complete our salvation. The Lord calls us to wait that we might know Him more. You know, and in the final stanza of Newton's hymn, God finally says, These inward trials I employ from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me. What, what I can say to us is that our waiting is not in vain. We can wait patiently, for God will keep His word to save us, even if it's not tomorrow, even if it's not right away. I pray that we would take to heart these words from Hosea 6, verse 3. Hosea says to us, Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn, he will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. Let us press on to know the Lord.
Let's pray together.